So I'm going to read this chapter for you, um, and I want you to think about one thing before we begin to read it. Um, this, we often think about um, the people in the world who are uh, miserable, who are physically miserable, and a lot of those are uh, echoed in this chapter. We're going to see a lot of people who are really struggling, who are physically struggling. They have serious problems. But I want us to think about this morning this concept of the spiritually miserable, okay? The spiritually miserable. What do I mean by that? Spiritually miserable. People who are, have not yet been forgiven of their sins, they are, under, they are still sort of living under the consequences of their sin. They're still living immersed in a sinful life. They don't really know God. They don't know God. They don't, they don't have intimacy with God. They haven't um, received the word from God and believed it. They, they are not able to live the way God calls us to live. They are not able to do what God asks us to do. They're not able to live in that life of love and mercy and holiness that God calls us to. Um, they are uh, living with a guilt, living with a shame, living with, the, with the, the, the consequences, the wrath over their head, the punishment over their head, um, and they're living in that. And, 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 and that's a spiritual misery that is very, very real. It's very, very real, and it's in the lives and in the hearts. Do you understand that the people around us in our community, so many of them are living that way every single day? They are spiritually miserable. I'm not talking about their illnesses or their emotional troubles. I'm talking about at the core of who they are. They are lacking the one thing they need, which is God. The one th person, that the, the one that they need, their creator, their savior, they need God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in their life. They need to know him. They need to live for him. They need to worship him, and they don't. And so they live in, in this spiritual misery. This God has been removed from their life, and that is a desperate, sad, dejected, horrible way to live. Jesus is going to talk about that later in, near the end of this chapter. He says he looks out at the crowds and he just sees people who are just harassed, dejected, without help, without help, because they don't have God and they don't have a shepherd, a Messiah to help them. Um, and, and I want you to think about that, the spiritually miserable. They're, in, they're even in our churches. They're even in, in this church, those who are living in this sort of spiritual misery. Now, I'm going to read the chapter in that context, because even the times when Jesus is healing someone's physical misery, it's a symbol to us. Of, it's a sign to us, it's a picture to us of, the, of what the kingdom of God does when it heals a, us in our spiritual misery. Um, and there's stuff in here about spiritual misery as well. So let me read through this, um, begin with verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. And that doesn't mean Nazareth, but Capernaum. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the man and his friends, he said to the paralytic, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I want you to, I'm going to keep reading, but I want to just make one comment right there. Notice that Jesus does not immediately heal, his, heal him, but instead he goes straight to his spiritual misery. Why? If this man is brought in, did that, is that this man's brought in, he's got this problem, he can't move, and he's brought in, he can't walk. 
and, he, and he's laying before Jesus. Jesus sees this man and knows that there's another problem here. There's not just a physical problem. There is a spiritual misery in this man. This man does not have, does not have God in his life. He's not connected to God. He is lacking the forgiveness of his sins and reconciliation and a relationship with God. And he sees that as the deeper problem, and he addresses that problem first. He addresses that problem first and says, your sins are forgiven. Take heart. I know you're living in fear. I know you're living, uh, living in darkness. Take heart. Have courage. I'm here to help you. And the first thing I'm going to do is forgive your sins. So he forgives his sins. He addresses his spiritual misery, and then he addresses his physical misery. Read on. Um, At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Jesus is blaspheming. Why? Because only God can pronounce forgiveness of sin like that. And so here we see once again, like last week, I could preach the same sermon as I preached last week about the Son of God. Every single one of these miracles is demonstrating to us that he is the Son of God, that he is God. He has the right. He's not a teacher. He has the right to pronounce the forgiveness of sins. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why, verse 4, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Which is easier? Which of those things is easier? So to demonstrate that he has the power and he has the right to forgive sins, he's now going to heal his physical misery. Um, He's going to heal to demonstrate that he has the authority, he has the power. Who can tell a paralyzed man to stand up and walk? Who can heal him in a moment uh, as Jesus can? And it's to demonstrate that he has the authority, he has the power, he is indeed this Son of God. But so that you may know that the Son of Man, this is that term that Jesus uses for himself, which is a messianic term from the Old Testament, a term about the Messiah. He, to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up, and he went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to men, not recognizing the full sense of, of who Jesus was. They just saw a man who had been, they knew this was God's work, God's authority, so somehow God had given his authority to this man. They didn't know that this was indeed God himself. This was the Son of God. Um, and so he heals a paralytic. Once again, these, when he, Jesus sees someone who is in great misery, he sees their spiritual misery and their physical misery. He heals both. Um, and the, but the physical misery, once again, these are signs of the spiritual healing that Jesus is going. Now, my theme, what I want you to be thinking about as, I, as I'm reading through this is this is my theme for today. Let me read it for you. Jesus is the Son of God, and he came to bring joy to the spiritually miserable. He came to bring joy, the joy of salvation, the joy of life with God, all that we can unpack. But Jesus is the Son of God, and he came into the world. He was sent into the world. He came to bring joy to the spiritually miserable. And this chapter is just packed full of not only miracles saying, look, he is the Son of God. Only God could do this. He is God himself. But it's also saying, look how he cares about the miserable. Look how God cares about the miserable. Look at his compassion on the miserable. Look how he comes to the miserable. And the physical and the the most important misery, the one that that he's really aiming at, is their spiritual misery. And the physical is a sign of that. Now, read on. We see that in the very next section. Um, uh, Verse 9. 
as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. By the way, that's the author of this gospel we're reading. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Tax collectors, as you know, were terrible sinners involved in terrible sin and evil behavior, and they were hated by most Jewish people. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up, and he followed him. Now, don't miss that. Why in the world did a man who had a job, had himself set up, was doing, tax collectors were usually doing fairly well, and Jesus comes by and says, follow me, and he just says, yes, I'm, I'm, leaving, I'm leaving this. I'm leaving my profession. I'm leaving all of this, and I'm going to come follow you. Why would he do that? Because he was miserable. <laughs> he had all this money, all this power, he had, but he was, his life was filled with sin. His life was filled with evil. He didn't know God. And he saw in that moment when Jesus came that this was God's invitation to him, God saying, I'm going to take you out of all that. You follow me, and you're done with this life. All this sin that you've lived in, this spiritual misery that you live in, all the, way, the, the wrong things that you do, and your separation from God, let me take you out of that. Follow me. And, and Matthew just comes right away. Why? Because his heart sang when he heard that. God is speaking to me through this man and saying, come, I'm taking you out of it. I'm taking you away from your sin. I'm pulling you out of that. Come with me now. And he didn't hesitate. He came because this was life. This was salvation. This was deliverance. This was rescue. This was the only way, the, the thing that he longed for deep in his heart. In the midst of all his sin, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing evil things. All the people around me hate me because of the way I live. But I'm making money, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm succeeding, and I'm prospering. But deep down inside, he was like, oh, God, I don't want this. I, don't, I, I need out. I need to be rescued. This is not the right life. I need, this is not right, this is not good. And when God spoke to him, he came in a moment. He came in a moment. Jesus is the son of God and he came to bring joy to the spiritually miserable. But then it flows on to his friends, his companions. The only people who will, will hang out with a tax collector are sinners and tax collectors. Sinners here meaning um, people who live a notorious way. They basically, everyone knows they're breaking the commandments and, and doing evil things. Um, not sinner in the sense that we think that everyone is a sinner. It's being used in a more ex ex uh, specific uh, way here. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with this scum? Why does he associate with them? Why is he not with the righteous people? Why is he not helping, the, helping those who are already obedient and need guidance and need teaching? Why is he going for the ones who, are, who, who, who have already rejected God, who are living in sin openly? Why is he there? Why do we, why do we see him there? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And here he's talking about spiritual sickness, spiritual misery. I've come for, he's going to say, I've come for the sinners. I've come for the spiritually miserable, the spiritually sick. That's why I'm here. But go and learn what this means. And by the way, that may not strike you, but that is a real burn right there. Jesus is saying to Bible scholars, why don't you go study up? Go read your Bible, why don't you? Go read your Bible. Learn what the Bible means. You don't, you're, you're a Bible teacher, but you don't know your Bible. And this is what he says. Go and learn what this means. Quote from Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, 
for, and I'll come back to that. For I have come to call, I have come to call the, I have not come, sorry, to call the righteous, but sinners. I have come, to, I have come for sinners. I have come for the miserable. I have come for the spiritually miserable. Not the people who are over there calling themselves righteous, who think they already got it straight. They've already learned what they need to learn. They study their Bible and they know it all and they're, and they're doing the right stuff. He, he said, I didn't come for those folks. They already think they've got it straight. I've come for the sinners who know they're broken, who know they're in trouble, who are spiritually miserable and longing for life, longing for deliverance, longing for hope. So Jesus calls a sinner and in verse 9 and in verse 12, he eats with, a, he eats with other sinners uh, because he has, Jesus is the Son of God and came to bring joy to the spiritually miserable. Read on. Uh, let's skip to verse 18. I'll come back to that section we're skipping. While he was saying this, a ruler came, verse 18, and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. He knows that in him is this power, is this authority, this is the authority of God himself, that he can raise the dead to life. And Jesus got up and he went with them and so did the disciples. But just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, 12 years she had been bleeding and not able to, to fix the problem with doctors and all the other help that she could get, she came up behind him and she touched the edge of his cloak. There were these four tassels on Jesus' cloak, as in every Jewish man's cloak, and she just reaches out to take hold of one of those tassels um, because what does she think if she does this? She says, um, uh, where, where is oh, she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her, and he says the same thing to her. He said to the other one, take heart, daughter. By the way, he called that other guy son, and he calls her daughter. Do you see that? Do you see the, the love of, of Jesus in this? Do you see how he's saying, you're mine? I'm, I'm taking hold of you. You're my, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're, you're, I love you. It's a, it's a, it's a term of endearment, a, a term of love and mercy. Take heart, daughter. Have courage, daughter. I know you've been suffering. I know you've been in misery. I know for 12 years you've been in this, in, this constant turmoil. Not only is she bleeding the physical problem, but she, she would have been considered unclean, and so she would have been separated from society to a degree by this. And that's part of the reason probably she's afraid to, to come up and to, to be seen. She's trying to do it secretly because she's unclean. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Jesus is the Son of God, and he came to bring joy to the spiritually miserable. Her 12 years of physical misery are assigned to us, of, a, a, a symbol to us of not only physical misery that will be cured at the resurrection, but the spiritual misery that we are all suffering in, that we need to be rescued from by Christ. When Jesus entered the ruler, verse 23, entered the ruler's house, and he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd by the way, their funerals were the opposite of our funerals, at least the culture that I'm in. You may be in a culture that's, that does funerals differently. But the culture that I'm in is the funeral is, is the quietest place you can imagine, right? Everybody, the only way you can respect the dead and the one departed is to be as quiet as, as possible. And, and I'm often shocked by the lack of emotion seen at, at funerals in our culture. 
Um, like you'll look around and you know people are upset, but there's, there's no tears. You know, everyone's like controlling themselves. Now, once again, you may be from a culture that's not that way. Um, but uh, that's, that's, tip, that's the kind of funerals that I've been to. Um, but in their culture, the way you honor the dead is you make as much noise as possible. If you're really sad that they're gone, if they're dead and gone, you, you make some clamor, make some noise, grieve, make, shout out. And you, you actually, if you don't have enough people shouting, you hire people to shout. And you get flute players too, so the flute players can just add to the chaos and the noise and just pound away so that, the, I mean, if you, if in other, you may have been in other cultures where you've heard funerals like this, where it's just like, it's a loud swarm. That's what their funerals were like. So Jesus comes in and says, this is Jewish culture. This is, you know, this is, this is God's people. This is the way they did funerals. And Jesus comes in and says, hush, hush. Why? She's only sleeping. Hush. She's only sleeping. What does he say? He says, um, uh, uh, Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, the noisy mourners, and he said, go away. The girl's not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. So not only... It's, it's such an uproarious thing that they actually just laugh when Jesus says this at him as, as he's, he's some kind of fool. Who is this fool who's wandered in here and said she's asleep? We know she's not asleep. She's dead. And of course, what does Jesus mean by this? He's not speaking literally. He's saying, I'm about to wake her up. I'm a, God's about to wake her up. I, the son of God, I'm about to wake her up. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and he took the girl by the hand and she got News of this spread throughout the, all that region. Once again, Jesus raises this dead girl by the touch of his hand. He raises her up, and this is, this is he raises her up, uh, gives her back to his, her father and to her family, raises her from the dead because he is the son of God. Only God has that power, and he has come to rescue the miserable, the spiritually miserable, and death um, not death is the, is the punishment for sin, but also death is a picture of sin itself. You know how Paul says, we were dead in our sins. We were dead. We, we were dead to God. We were dead in our sins. We were dead, and Jesus came, and he liberated. He, he raised us from the dead. That's a picture of salvation, that you are dead. You are, when you're spiritual misery apart from God, it's just like a dead man, a dead woman, and God raises you from the dead. This is what Jesus has come to do, to raise people who are dead, spiritually dead from that death. Raise them up. Read on. There's a few more. There's two more miracles here to read. This is a full chapter. Um, uh, as Jesus went, verse 27, if you lost your place. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy. There's that word mercy, which means care about us, see us in our misery, see us in our, see us in our trouble. Uh, yes, we're sinners, but have pity on us, have mercy on us, care about us. And son of David, was that doesn't mean Jesus is in the line of David, he's a son of David. No, it's much deeper than that. Son of David for a Jew meant the son of David, which is who? The Messiah, right? The Christ. They know, these two blind men know that he's the Messiah. They know he's the Christ. And they, and they say, have mercy on us. Yes, we're sinners, and we're, but see us in our misery. See us in our trouble and help us, son of David. Help us, Messiah. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him. So he goes, Jesus goes inside. The blind men come in after him. And he asked them, 
do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that I have the authority to do this, that I have the authority and power of God himself to take eyes that are blind and in a moment, in a word, in a touch, to heal them completely and restore you to sight? Do you believe who I am? Do you believe I'm the Messiah? Do you believe I'm the Son of God? Do you believe I have this power? Do you believe I have this mercy, that I have this, this grace? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, because you have believed in me and believed I can do this, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. And then Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. And we're not gonna get into that theme. That's a whole, whole debate. Uh, and even Calvin, uh, when I was reading Calvin's commentary on this, he said, we don't really know why Jesus told him not to, not to say this. Calvin didn't know. I'm not going to pretend like I know. Um, Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and they spread the news about him all over that region. They were too exuberant. They were too excited. One more. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk because of this is not a normal a normal physical problem. This is he's bound by the demon so that he's not able to speak and maybe not able to hear either. The language is a little bit, uh, it could go either way or both. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus, brought by friends once again, like the paralytic. And when the demon was driven out, it just quickly goes on. He drove the demon out, no problem, with a word. The man who had been mute spoke. The demon was rele released him. The G Jesus drove him away. This man was living in spiritual misery. He was bound by, the, by devils, by demons, not able to speak anymore, maybe not able to hear anymore. His whole body was afflicted by the, the, the possession of these demons. And Jesus, with a word, because he is the Son of God, said, said, boom, go, go, and sent the demons away and set this man free, and he begins to speak. And the crowd was amazed, and they said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. So Jesus is the Son of God and came to bring joy to the spiritually miserable. I want you to, to hear that, and I want your, your energy, your, your attention, your excitement to be caught up in that. That is what Jesus is doing. That's what he's all about. Jesus came. He's the Son of God who came into the world to bring joy, the joy of salvation, the joy of all that, that of this work that Jesus is doing by his cross and resurrection to the spiritually miserable. And these miracles are pictures of what is to come. They're pictures of, of what's coming, pictures of what, of what is coming. Um, but he also forgives the sins of the paralytic, and he, and he eats with sinners and calls a sinner. Um, okay, now look at, let's look at verse, these, these last few verses here. Verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. So Jesus is going around. And do you understand when it says good news, do you understand what that means? It goes back to this theme. He's talking to people who are sad. He's talking to people who are dejected. He's about to say that they're harassed, dejected, helpless, oppressed people. And that meant spiritually oppressed and dejected and helpless. And he's going around and he's preaching to them the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. He's saying, I've got something to tell you that is too good to believe. I've got something amazing to tell you about what is coming. It's already present in me. I'm already here showing you the miracles, but these miracles are just 
these moments of power, these moments of healing that are pointing you to the good news of the kingdom. What's about to happen? Pentecost is about to happen, and the second coming is coming after that. At Pentecost, every, what Jesus has done, his death and resurrection, are going to uh, you know, re- give them the power to live for God, give them a new life. You know, before, before Pentecost, before the giving of the Holy Spirit, they, they still didn't have all the benefit of this cross and resurrection, what Jesus did for them. The power of the resurrection will be at work in you at Pentecost. And he, now he's not explaining all this, but he's telling them, he's telling to this, what is coming, what God's about to do is what we talked about last week. He's going to release you from your own sin, from the, the punishment that's over your head. He's going to release you from the power of the devil, release you from the power of death. And at the, at the second coming, he's going to clean all that stuff away forever. But even at Pentecost, which we live afterward with the giving of the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you the power to resist the devil and do what and live with God and know God and uh and 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 live in the way with the fruit of the spirit and all that God wants to do through us so he's he's giving them goodies guys I've got a new life for you I'm announcing something to you exciting something wonderful the good news of the kingdom and then every miracle was just a demonstration and let me give you a flannel graph here except it's an amazing God powerful thing bam this is what it's going to be like Bam! This is what it's going to be like. This is what's coming. Are you ready? Spiritual salvation, spiritual rescue from your misery apart from God. Bam! It's going to be like this person being rescued. Bam! This person rescued. Bam! This person rescued. One rescue after another, just one sermon illustration after another. He didn't, Jesus didn't need sermon illustrations. He just hit them with these miracles and showed them this is an example of what's coming. This is an example of the kingdom of God. This is an example of what's about to happen. So he preached the good news to sad people, the good news of Pentecost, which is coming, and the, se- and the second coming, which is coming. Um, verse 36, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you see that? This is, gee, this is, the, this is the Son of God looking at the crowds and crowds of people and he has compassion on them. This means when he sees them, he feels in his, in his own heart. His heart goes out to them. He feels for their misery, their absolute misery. He doesn't just look out and say, you guys, are, you guys are so evil. You're so terrible. He does see, he sees sin. He hates evil. He hates sin. But he also sees misery, and he has compassion he is moved within. The image, I've said this many times, but the image there is of someone, of something, of like a pain deep down inside. It's like in his guts, Jesus felt the pain of their pain, their misery, their trouble. This is your Lord. This is, this is the Son of God. When he looked at a crowd of people, he didn't think about the culture war. When he looked at a crowd of people, he didn't think about all the unclean and all the nasties out there. When he looked at a crowd of people, he saw their misery, their misery lost, like sheep without a shepherd. They, ha- they don't know their Savior yet. They don't know their Messiah yet. They don't know their God. They are lost, spiritually miserable, and he feels compassion for them um, in his heart. And then, and then how does this, this chapter end? And then he said to his disciples, speaking about this crowd, this crowd of people, he says, the harvest is plentiful. Notice what he says there. 
The harvest is plentiful. Look at all these people. There are so many people for us to bring in. There's so many people that we can bring into God's joy. So many people that we can bring in out of their spiritual misery into salvation, into new life, to walk in newness of life with Christ, to know God. We can give them a whole new spiritual life. He says, let's stop. You need to stop and we need to pray because we need God. We need, we need, we need uh, him to raise up teachers to lead these people and to teach these people. I'm going to, I'm going to do the work on the cross and the resurrection, but then we need teachers to go out and give them this word and to teach them the word. And of course, that's going to be continued in, in the very next chapter. But I w- just want you to see that back to this idea that Jesus is the Son of God who, has, who, has, um, who came to bring joy to the spiritually miserable. He has plans to bring them in. Jesus is not saying, I really wish God would bring all these people in, but would you guys start praying and maybe God will? Are you kidding me? He's looking at it and saying, all these people are going to be brought in and we're going to be a part of it. And the way you're going to be a part of it, first of all, you'll have other things to do, but first of all is begin to pray for God to send out the teachers. It's going to happen. The teachers are going to go out. If you, if you forget to pray, it's, it's still going to happen. But the teachers, but he, he wants us to be involved. He invites us to pray for this to happen. But he's going to save these crowds. He's going to save these people. He's going to bring them into the joy of God. There's so many people who will be brought in in the coming, uh, in the coming years and, and, and weeks. Um, so, all that to make that one point that I wanted to make about Jesus Christ. I hope that you've caught this vision um, for, for what Christ is about here. I want to give you three quick applications, three quick applications of this. I've, told, I've given you the truth, the truth about Jesus and what he's doing um, through this whole chapter, but I want to give you quick, three quick applications. Um, the first one is, you know what people did at a wedding uh, at that time? Jesus, Jesus says in the, in the verses we're about to read, he says, because I'm here, it's like a big wedding. It's, what, what's happening is like a big wedding, and, pe- and guests at a wedding don't fast. It, it, the fact that I'm here among you, the kingdom of God is, is coming, guests at a wedding don't fast. They don't fast. What do they do? They feast, they dance, they have, the music is playing really loud. It's, it's also very loud, uh, 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 like their funerals. The wedding is also very loud. There's tons of music, there's feasting, there's shouting, there's yelling, and there's dancing. Um, and he's saying, that's what's happening right now. Well, that's what's happening. My disciples don't fast. How can they fast? Fasting is associated with mourning. Fasting is associated with sin and all of that. They are, I am here. I am here. The Messiah is here. This is a day of joy. This is, look at verse 14. He says, um, he says uh, verse 14, then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom or the guests of the wedding, is another way to translate this, mourn while he is with them? And then he says, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. And that's a reference to Jesus' death and that there will be mourning, of course, and sadness when they're briefly separated from Jesus there. But, um, but the idea here, and then he gets into this idea of the wineskins. And what's being said here is, He's contrasting the old, before the coming of Jesus with, the new, with, with what Jesus is doing now. That the new way of Jesus is this way of joy. So he's saying, my first application is, exult, 
in Jesus. Exult or dance in Jesus. Exult or dance in Jesus. It's, we're, not, we're no longer living, and the, the old, the, the Jewish way that they were living in before, was a, there was a lot of fasting. There was a lot of mourning for their sins. There was, a lot of, there was a lot of, I hope the Messiah comes one day, but it was sort of a melancholy, pining away for God to do something one day. And he said, that's over. It's a wedding now. I'm here. I'm here. And soon Pentecost was coming and the Holy Spirit was good. This is a day of joy. Yes, there will still be fasting in this age. Yes, there will still be mourning because there will be loss and there will be lamentation. But he's saying the tenor of things has changed. And he gives this metaphor, which is very strange to us. But he says, I'm like um, two metaphors. He says, I'm like a new piece of cloth, a brand new piece of cloth. You don't take a brand new piece of cloth and put it on to, to try to patch an old garment. It will destroy the old garment. When it shrinks, it will destroy the old garment. He said, I'm the new cloth. Don't put me on those old, the old ways that the, the Jews are doing their religion. We've got a new way, a new way. And we're not fasting anymore. We're doing joyous things. We're rejoicing. We're, the tenor is not mourning and fasting anymore. This is the good day, a wonderful day. I've come. I'm bringing salvation. Live like it. Exult like you're at a wedding. Dance like you're at a wedding. Feast like you're at a wedding. This is the day in which you live. He says, I'm the new wine. If you take new wine and take your old raggedy wine skin and bring it over here and pour my new wine into it. You know what it's going to do? Destroy the wine skin. Why? Because the wine with new wine expands. It will expand that old wine, that old worn out wine skin and wreck it in a, in a moment. Just destroy it over, over a little bit of time. And he's saying, this is a new day. It's a new time. I've come. Do you understand? You don't understand yet what's happened. If you think we're going to be fasting, you do not understand yet what is happening. Fasting and mourning. We're not living the old way anyway. We're living in a new, in a new way and doing a new, uh, the new thing that Christ is doing. So dance and exult over Jesus. Um, what I'm getting at with this is catch the fire of this. Do you understand what is happening in this world? Do you understand what Jesus is doing? Are you living or is this the oldest, tiredest, most worn out thing for you? Oh, go back to your scriptures. Go back to your Bible and understand what Jesus is doing. He is at work in this world. He is doing an amazing thing. And the tenor of the, tenor of the Christian life is joy and excitement. And there's a lot of us walking around looking like the dumps and the melancholy and the darkness and the despondence and the cloud hanging over. Now, I know when hard things are happening, we should grieve and it's sad, but I'm talking about just this sort of general life attitude of this, that, that misses the joy of what this... If you don't have joy about Christ, you can teach me all the theology and you don't get it. You don't get it if you don't have joy in what Jesus Christ did. He's rescuing miserable people. And not just you. You should be overjoyed that he's rescuing all these other people too, that he's rescued so many. That's the joy of this. The second thing I want to say is he invites bad characters to the party. Now, we already read that, but you saw that Jesus... Uh, there's a party at Matthew's house, and he invites all, we, all these bad characters are invited. And it says, "Why does he, why does he call? You know, he calls uh, the word call also meant invite. Invite in the bad characters." Now, I don't have a lot of time here. Let me close up. But our truth for today that Jesus is the Son of God, and He's bringing joy to the spiritually miserable means that if you get that and you're rejoicing in that, you should be somebody who is always looking for spiritually miserable people. Always, just like, hey, hey, you, you know, you look like you're, you know, let me talk to you. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me, 
you sh- you should be, your heart should be engaged and like Jesus' heart, his insides were, 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 were tightened up by the compassion for the crowds. You, you should be sensitive to the spiritual. You see people in spiritual misery and you want to tell them about the Messiah, tell them about Jesus, tell them what he's done and communicate that to them. But a lot of us are walking around like, where are all the righteous people? I just want to stick with the righteous people and I just want that. But we should be just as much out there looking for the inviting in, welcoming in the bad characters, the ones that we're not supposed to be with. Jesus if Jesus hung out with them, then we're supposed to hang out with them, right? We're supposed to be talking to them, finding the people who, are, who need mercy. And Jesus said, go back and learn your Bible because your Bible says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Meaning, meaning, sacrifice is one word, meaning the whole temple worship system. And he's saying more important than the temple worship is loving others and mercy to others. It's not that there's no temple worship, but it's more important. In other words, more important than, than uh, outward externals of religion and doing things like going to church and those other things, more important than that is the mercy, the love, the kindness you show to other people. That's worshiping God. That's worshiping God. And it's more fundamental. It's more important than the other. It is apt because this is what God requires of us. This is what God, I desire mercy. He didn't say, he wasn't saying there, no more worship of me, just mercy. But he's saying, when the Jew contrasts two things, he's saying this is more important. Mercy over sacrifice. Over ritual worship, over worship. That's not fundamental. That's not the first thing. The first thing is mercy. In church, seven days a week, prayer meetings five days a week, Bible studies three days a week. Mercy, every day of the week. If not, worthless, all of it worthless. All of it worthless. Invite in the bad characters, the bad ones, the rotten apples. They're the ones you need to know. They're the ones you need to befriend. They're the ones that you need to say, you're spiritually miserable and I know one who can help. His name is Jesus. He helped me and he will help you. And, and, and that's, that's, that's our call, to invite in. The bad. And the, my, my third one is desire that the, that this is sort of very similar, but desire that the miserable know joy. But desire that the miserable know joy. Um, and that's where there at the end when he says, um, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. He's saying, pray about this, meaning I want you to want this. I want you to look out at the crowds like I do and say, look at the harvest. Lord, please send a good teacher to them. Send a good teacher to them. Send them some kind of teacher who can help them. Send them some kind of teacher who can lead them. And te- Notice you don't presume to teach yourself unless you're called. Interesting. We could, we could talk about that at another time. But you but, but, you, but nonetheless, you pray for there to be teachers that they would be led. But notice the desire of it is, I desire the, the harvest to be brought in. I want those people to be brought in. So, do you recognize this? Are you caught up in this thing? I think some of us are living the Christian life and we have nothing to do with this at all. Nothing to do with this. It's about our little world, our little life, our little morality, we're trying to cross our T's and drop our eyes. I mean, drop our eyes, keep our eyes, and we're trying to point our eyes, and we're trying to get to church and get to prayer meeting and get to 
But are we missing this, which is Jesus came to liberate, to give joy, to give a new life in God to the spiritually miserable, and they should be on our heart. The joy of that and them on our heart. Them on our heart, pressing on our heart. Yes, 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 yes. I want that for you, and I want that for you. Is that the, is that the song of your heart? Let's pray.